You're listening to EVH and Gear TV, brought to you by Design39 Media. Visit design39media.com for all your website, photography, and video production needs. Microphones for EVH and Gear TV are provided by Rode Microphones. An official Van Halen merchandise is provided by vanhalenstore.com. And now, here's your host from Ontario, Canada, EVH artist Eric Broadbent. Hey everyone, happy Friday to you all. It is a weekend, a beautiful weekend ahead of us. You're watching EVH and Gear TV. We are live, bringing back a familiar face. Uh, I've been on the show several times and always a pleasure, Craig Rendles. Craig, how are you, man? I am good. Uh, thank you, Eric. It's always <laughs> good to be here, man. Awesome. Cool. Great to have you back again, for sure. And you always bring us new and exciting things. And uh, the fans always request you. I love having you. And uh, other than, uh, you know, the technical difficulties we were both having just a moment ago, we're ready to rock and have a great weekend. Nothing ever go, you know, nothing ever that goes easy is always good. You have to have a little bit of struggle in life, no matter what it is, to uh, to enjoy the successes. For sure. <laughs> and, I'm, and, you know, to, to honor... The recent guest and uh, one of my all-time kind of uh, mentors, Mr. Paul Gilbert, I'm, I'm bringing today a, this is my original, uh, Ibanez PGM 300, and these were released, if I remember correctly, in like 91 or 92. I think so. So, you know, so here you go, uh, here's to you, Mr. Gilbert, um, uh, your, your uh, original kind of it was your second model, yeah. It was the second uh, PGM model, the 300. It's awesome guitar. It's a beautiful guitar. It looks like a shred machine, and we'll talk about that guitar obviously throughout the program as well too. He was a he was a fun guest, and I and I think any any guitar player that can make you smile, make you enjoy guitar, uh, doesn't matter necessarily the person's technical abilities, but with Paul, you know, he made it look fun and and exciting and happy, you know, and, and that makes people want to play guitar. It was it was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, I wish I was on an airplane when you guys aired that show, but I wanted to see it, and uh, uh, I used to run his intense rock videos yeah. a lot when I was a kid, like many of us did, and uh, I also got the opportunity to do a private lesson uh, with him as well, um, but I have an interesting story about Paul we can talk about later, Okay, related, related to my guitar teacher from Dallas. <laughs> I'll look forward to hearing it. I uh, I threw a joke at him re- very quickly during the show, and I wasn't sure how it was going to go over. Unfortunately, he took it as a good joke. You know, he was talking about all the rehearsing and practicing and all that kind of stuff. And I said, he showed some riffs. And I said, you know, one day you keep that up, you're going to be a good guitar player. <laughs> and and he actually <laughs> laughed at it. You know, of course. Yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, so it was funny. But we got a bunch of people jumping in the chat. We'll say hi to them first. We'll jump over to your questions we have for you for the program. Uh, Metal X Music saying it's going to be awesome. See you in 29. That was a little while ago. Terry St. Cummings is here saying, hey there, love the show. Uh, My Canadian buddy, Carlos Santon is here. Happy Friday, everyone. Barry Gretsch is here. Uh, Terry St. Cummings says, congrats on the Kramer endorsement. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that is cool, man. I, I mentioned that before, but yeah, it's yeah, an awesome thing. Thank you. It's it's kind of feels like coming home a little bit, you know. We all played those things back in the day, and uh, it it's, it feels very cool. It still hasn't the it has hasn't even sunk in yet. Um, Dirty Apes Inc says hello from Montana. Max Raider Two is here. Chad Boston is here. Uh, we got some Eric and friends. Barry Gretsch was up. Lynch Mob in the house. My beautiful nocturnal butterflies here running the chat very efficiently as always, saying hey all. And, uh, and Barry says, talk about the Kramer endorsement. I will maybe throw out the program, but uh, this is more about Craig tonight than it is me. But we'll try to sprinkle it in where we can. But thank you for that. Well, I, can talk about, I can talk about my Kramer Striker 100ST. L- do it. Please do. Go ahead. 
<laughs> no. No, when, when I was when I learned or was learning to play, I guess it was Ash after I learned a little bit of guitar. Uh, I started out on a I don't even remember the model number. It was a PV. It was like some kind of weird PV, and it was a uh, it was a uh, wood kind of clear, you know, natural finish T60? guitar. It, it was, you know, it might have been. I don't remember. I remember I had a PV backstage amp, the little, the real small ones, uh, and uh, the, so, so I had a the PV guitar, which wasn't cool because it wasn't, you know, didn't have a Floyd on it or anything like that, and everything back then was super strats. So, you know, I had this thing. You know, I kept seeing the Kramer ads and the magazines, and I wanted the Kramer really bad. So uh, I ended up going to the music store and I found a white, it was a white creamer beak headstock striker 100 ST and back then even those lower models came with Floyds and the whole nine yards yeah. so they were pretty good guitars I mean well as as guitars go you know back then they were mm-hmm. good guitars um, so yeah so I my first real super strat was a creamer striker 100 ST and the the funny part, and I'm ashamed to kind of say this, but back then I had that that PV backstage amp, and I had a friend that would come over, and I kept, you know, I was playing a guitar through the amp, and it wasn't sounding as cool as all the records. So I thought, well, damn, you know, how do they get it to sound good? So I went and bought myself a distortion pedal. So here I am thinking, you know, I'm Joe Cool. I got this distortion pedal, and. Uh, and it sounded okay, but I remember not having my distortion pedal plugged in. And I remember my friend coming over, and he walks up to my PV backstage, you know, uh, practicing, and he pulls the volume knob out. Click, yep. Pulls it out, and there's distortion already in the amp. And so I'm sitting there with that thing for God knows how long, not even realizing that I can pull the knob out and get distortion. And I'm looking all over the place trying to figure out how to make the sound, and I have to get a distortion pedal and all that stuff. So, so yeah, it was kind of a, a funny experience. I love that story. That I think, they, and I had many of those amplifiers as well too. They called it saturation back in the day. Yeah. On the PVs, yeah, it was a click. And the, do you do you remember the Renown, the PV Renown amplifier two twelve? I don't think I ever had one of those, but. And it um, was it was the same deal too. It had the push pull, but that's before they got into the saturation. So they had their own version of distortion, and it wasn't that good. Once they discovered this, whatever this terminology saturation is that they called it, I mean, they didn't invent the term, but that's what they called it on their amplifiers. It really got a lot better as far as getting that gain, like you'd get out of a you know a Boss DS one or or something yeah. of that nature, right? But that's cool. A lot of us had those backstage amps. Those were those were the every everybody had one. They become yard sale amps, pawn shop amps, but everybody had one. So the so the the, the end story about my striker, striker was that when I was going through my eBay Amstein phase, I you know I wanted a scallop neck, so <laughs> I I you know didn't know that you could go to a luthier and say, hey, I want my neck scallop. So I thought you know. You have to do you have, you have to do it yourself. So, so I didn't know anything about how to work with wood or any of that crap. So here I am. I'm going. You know, well, I'll just do it so it looks. You know, you're supposed to remove the wood from between the frets. And I remember, I remember I actually would I use a saw, which you can already tell is a bad idea. 
and I sawed like I, I found the middle of each fret, and I sawed down to the depth I thought the scallop would be, and then I started hacking the wood away, kind of chipping it towards the fret, and I eventually scalloped the whole neck like that, and you know, it looked so ugly. <laughs> but you know, it was it was, it was my first scallop, and it, w- it wasn't smooth. It was a hack job, and um, so I essentially ruined my Kramer Striker 100 ST by ha- taking a hacksaw to it and uh, trying to turn it into an Ingvae guitar. And uh, I remember later giving that guitar to a roadie who he was doing all my uh, you know working with all my uh, uh, gear and hauling it and because I couldn't afford a pan, so I said, well, what can I do for you? And he's like, well, I don't know, what are you doing with that? And I said, well, you can have it. So I gave, the, <laughs> I gave him my favorite striker with the terrible scallop job. But you know what? Th- that You learned from that. Uh, just on, like, I'm sure you've probably taken some electronics pieces apart at home, maybe as a kid, seeing how they work and breaking them. But we all learn from those mistakes. I did something similar with a bass. Uh, same idea, not scalloping. But I thought, like, I couldn't play bass to begin with, but I had a bass. I wanted the fretless bass. I just took a pair of needle nose pliers and yanked out all the frets. And I think I took um, some wood, uh, like, you know, plastic wood, whatever, and filled in the frets. And then the thing just played like crap. And, like, it was actually, it was a a court bass. It was a really cheap $125 court bass to begin with, yanking out the frets with pliers. Um, and, and And to me at the time, you know, that was, a, that was an investment. And uh, I, I ruined it. I ruined it. <laughs> but we learn, right? Yeah, you live and you learn. Look where you are today. I mean, building guitars now, which is kind of going to be the focal point of, of most of the show today. But, you know, right. if you didn't make those, those mistakes, probably kind of horrible, cringy mistakes looking back now. But it did season you. We've all done th- crazy things uh, with pickups, you know, like you know, like Eddie Van Halen and all those guys will, uh, you know, d- paraffin dip the pickups for you know prevent the feedback and those kind of things. We've all boiled our pickups like soup, you know, <laughs> to the point yeah. of no return. But, but you know, it's one of those things. Sometimes I think you have to be careful what we read and what we want to try. Like there should be little disclaimers: don't try this at home, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, I later. Redeemed myself and and did some scallops, you know, that were proper, but that was many 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 years later. So, sure. <laughs> that's awesome though. Um, let's jump over to the first question I have for you as well here too. Um, so obviously a lot of people know you, and some people don't know you, the fact that you're a builder now. We're going to talk about which what, what it is that you are building, but you're building some pretty limited uh, run guitars, and one we can see just off to your right a little bit. We're going to talk about that one in, in depth. But yeah. in the EVH community here, where a lot of us are watching, um, the the new Eruption 78, uh, you know, throwback to the debut album. There's three models that come out from EVH gear, uh, you know, ranging from, you know, $7,000, you know, almost $8,000 up to $25,000. Have you seen much of that guitar online? And just maybe share your thoughts on uh, what you think Eddie's doing with, uh, with this kind of throwback uh, nostalgia line. No, I mean I've seen I've seen the the picks online. I've seen the guitar. Um, you know, in general, I think uh, for all the people that are fans, like from my perspective, I would love to have one of those. Um, one of the one that was as close to what his was as possible. And you know, it's it's no secret that I like you know the whole process of you know doing um, relicking and also. You know, doing replicas, 
you know, I, I first I was first turned on to replicas through uh, John Cruz. He's one of the masters of doing the replica in the in the luthier world. Mm-hmm. And uh, just looking at what he did with some of those guitars, and, and now seeing how that's evolved into what we saw the Frankenstein guitar, um, and and that was amazing. I mean, the 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 length that they went to to get you know the right coins and and get kind of like the right reflectors, which weren't manufactured, I guess. They had to like, uh, I think they had to remanufacture using the original, uh, you know, manufacturing dies or whatever they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that level of stuff is what really fascinates me. And, and looking at what they do with something like the 78, I mean, certainly it's not for everyone because not everyone wants to spend that kind of money on something. It's purely a, a nostalgia piece in most cases, but... Uh, I, I would say it's it's something I, I'm looking forward to getting one in my hands and trying it for sure. I think it's it's something that I think everybody who's an Eddie fan, you know, wants you know Frankenstein. They want you know his you know the the bumblebee or whatever you want to call it. Then he, they want the the original you know black and white. You mm-hmm. know? And uh, so for me, it's 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 awesome. I mean, I like the fact that they came out with that. I think it's a it's a smart move capitalizing on it. Um, I think uh, from my perspective, if they get which I haven't seen it up close yet, but if they got this, if they got the the ultimate one, you know, dead on with the exact you know chips and the weight of the body being the same and all that kind of stuff, I mean, that would be something that I I would definitely be interested in. Um, Very cool. I've owned, I've owned two Ingve Play Loud tributes, um, which are basically similar in terms of that level of you know attention detail. to detail. So, yeah, I I think it'd be very cool. And the, the thing is. As you know, um, everyone, no one is ever happy, like no matter how much detail you put into a guitar. I mean, like in your case, it's, it's gone very well because you're doing, you're doing smaller numbers and things like that too. But with the first Frankenstein, you know, the red, the red, white, and black one that they released, you know, people are saying, okay, well, the, this is wrong and this is wrong. It's like, it seems like you can never make someone happy. And I even saw a comment one time recently on the new 78, someone saying, what, no Floyd? And you're like, you just kind of scratch your head for a second and you're like, um, well, there wasn't a Floyd yet, right? Right, you know what I mean. So you just—it just seems like you can never make some people happy. And then, of course, oh no, left-handed. It's—it's—you just can't win in, <laughs> in these situations, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's the truth is that you're not going to be able to make everyone happy. You're not. Um, and uh, the way I do what I, when I do the stuff that I do, I do it you know purely out of my own passion, and I try to do it to, to the level that I want. If I would have that guitar. I would do. I do it the way I personally would expect, and with the amount of detail I would expect. And and if if I feel like it is at that level, then I'm confident in the the product. Agreed. Over to the chat for a quick second. Uh, Terry St. Cummings says, dude, doing some awesome interviews and press releases. What a boss. Quentin James is here. Carlos Santin, or he's saying, hey, kids. Uh, Carlos Santin says, I've learned over the years that I'm not a luthier, a luthier on guitar or builder. I really suck at doing my own guitar work. And, you know, probably many of us aren't. But I think it's a good idea to, and I'm myself included, I'm not, I can't build. But I mean, learn to do some soldering, you know, simple, basic things like that. Maybe a pop and a pickup, and you might be a little scared. Uh, look up that YouTube is your best friend. Look up some things online. And, uh, you know, always maybe practice with a piece of junk you might have kicking around. 
you know, maybe have a parts guitar all the time. You know, look, look at our good friend Adam Reaver at uh, FU Tone. Um, you know, he's always got that, that, I don't know if he wants to call it his part caster, but it's his kind of crash test dummy in the shop. And he's always using that strat for, uh, for that exact purpose. You know, anything that new and exciting you want to try in that thing, it's, it's the prototype that before it gets into the customer's hand. So, but don't ever be afraid, right? That's, that's how you learn. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to try and you have to make mistakes to learn, you know, how to do it right. There's, there's very few people in the world that, that learn something without making mistakes. In fact, I don't, I doubt that there's anyone that does, but I mean, one thing that, I, that I'll say, you know, to people that want to tinker or they want to do things on their own guitars, you know, um, I can't say enough about how important the tools themselves are. Yeah. I mean, when, when most of the time when people are having a problem soldering, for example, or this kind of thing, a lot of it has to do with the quality of the soldering iron, you know, that there's a huge difference, you know, in a, you know, bubble pack, you know, soldering gun that, you know, that, that doesn't have any kind of a temperature control device and a more high-end unit that you would pay more, a little more money for, but it has a temperature control and it's, and it's got more wattage. I mean, if you want good solders, you're going to have to have a, I mean, I, I, there's probably really good guys that can solder with, with the worst soldering gun plant. Sure. I'm just going to say for all of us that aren't the best soldering guys, get a good gun. Yeah. Get a good soldering gun, and that's going to make a tremendous difference in the outcome. I've seen some guys, and myself included, some of the original guitars I've done some soldering on, the amount of solder is larger than the volume pot. <laughs> You're like, is that the volume pot or is that a solder but a blob? <laughs> that was that blob of solder. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I used to always have this this, this problem. You know, where I'm where I'm trying to. We've all had that, right? Where we're trying to put a ground on a volume pot or put a ground on a on a, um, a spring claw or something, and we're like the solder doesn't stick, and we're getting frustrated and all that kind of stuff. And you know, a lot of that has to do with the the soldering iron. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's two steps that most people do is that, you know, they you know, you scratch the metal and get a little bit of, you know, a, a neural to it or something that will bite, that will, will bite, yeah. And then the other thing is how hot your gun is. Yeah. If your gun's not hot enough, your solder's not hot enough, it's not going to, it's not going to melt, it's not going to stick, you're not going to get a clean solder. So th- that's a, that's another component of it. And then uh, another thing that I think is really important when you're soldering, for example, is is actually um, uh, I forget what the actual terminology is of it. I think it's called tinning, okay. where you actually you want slightly you know heat the wire a little bit. So you, the solder a lot of people use it. heat sinks or, or like little things like uh, little what do they call them like little the little uh, alligator. Oh yeah, things. yeah clips, yeah. Yeah, so you using the clip things and you put them on there and then you heat the wire and then you tin the wire prior to soldering and, and then you have to have the gun hot enough and if all of those things you're doing, you're going to get much cleaner solders and that's going to that's gonna make oh, all that frustration that you usually have when you're trying to do the bubble pack soldering guns and not getting them hot enough and not prepping everything, that's, that's, that's going to save you a lot of headache. 
I agree. That's where I went wrong all the time. Number one, having a, a very uh, inadequate gun or a pan and wand in some cases uh, that just don't heat up enough. And I used to just, if I, as soon as I get the solder uh, melting, I would just drip it on the wire. Once I started heating up the wire and you'd actually literally watch the solder s- sucked up into the, the, the braids, you know you've got a good bond and, uh, and you mm-hmm. prevent gr- ground issues, all kinds of extra things. Exactly. So, so I'll say that, you know, that's, that I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be an expert, but, mm-hmm. but I, I know from my own personal experience that that changed a lot for me when I was, you know, building and assembling guitars. So, yeah, it's a good thing to start practicing it. Like, I mean, no one's going to want to tear apart like a, a PRS or a line six Variax or something like that and start doing some of some of the crazy switching in there and start soldering, but start off with a three way switch and, or even just hooking up a humbucker directly to a volume pot and, and experiment there. You really can't hurt anything as long as you're careful. Yeah. I mean, that's true. And, and the other thing I think is really important that a lot of guys don't do when they build guitars, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't either they don't know how, or they don't take the time to intonate the guitar. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got, you're doing a Floyd, doing any kind of bridge, I mean, understanding about the string lengths and understanding that you've got to have the same open string note as you're getting on the 12th fret and being able to move that saddle forward and backward to find where that 12th fret and that open string are on the money, that in itself saves, I mean, your guitar is going to sound a million times better. If you if you accurately do that, mm-hmm. and it's it's gonna it's gonna set up better, it's gonna play better, it's gonna sound better. It's your chords are gonna sound more consistent. I mean, uh, but don't uh, be cheap on the setup when it comes to intonation, and don't be cheap when you're looking for a soldering iron. And like those are two big pieces of advice that I have in terms of like when you're trying to get a guitar to sound good and set up well when you're doing it at home. Very good point. So that's the thing, too. First of all, we get our guitars wired. So we, we got our so- good soldering gun. We get them wired. We're happy. We got a beautiful looking guitar. And then we skimp on the intonation. And you're not even going to play that guitar because you're going to get frustrated so quickly because you're going to sound like you're out of tune all the time. You're going to you're going to feel like you're playing horrible. And really, it's not you. You just didn't you neglected to take that final step to make that uh, kind of the perfect trifecta, I guess we'll say. And then, and then, you know, you can get deeper and deeper into this whole thing, you know, string height on, over the frets, eliminate the buzz, mm-hmm. checking the nut height, checking things like um, uh, the, the way the bridge is floating. Mm-hmm. Because um, when, when you have a floating bridge, um, if you have the bridge too far back or too far forward, number one, you're going to have issues with string tension. Um, you're going to have... Uh, uh, you're going to have the feel. The feel of the guitar is not going to be as good. That's right. Um, you want that to, to that bridge to lay as, as level kind of as possible um, to where that the tension on the strings is pretty consistent when you're moving back and forth. Um, especially like for a floating bridge, this mm-hmm. is obviously different for something that's not floating. But uh, for sure, uh, you know, if you're using, doing a floating Floyd or something like that, then you're really going to have to pay attention to that. It's a very uh, fine balance. Yeah, very fine balance. You can just go from a millimeter, and it's a whole different world. Like as you say, going back, if your if your spring tension's a little too hard, that's going to bring the technically bring the string the action lower could be causing buzzing issues. Or and then too far forward, you're going to have a little bit less whammy bar dive, and you're also going to have a throw, I should say, and uh, your action could be a little higher. So it's just a, a it's a dance, really. Yeah, and, and then 
it, it does take some experimentation, and I would say that every setup is not for every guitar player. Everybody no. has a different thing, you know. I like my action a little higher. Okay. Then there's a lot of guys that like really low, where you can blow on the string and it touches the fret. You know, that's not me. I uh, I have various reasons for not wanting to have my guitar set up like that, and the the main one that I would tell people that do that, and I'm not saying it's wrong, um, it's, it's a different sound, a different vibe, but like I don't do it because I I feel like the vibration of the string, uh, the, the sustain that I get out of the string, the vibration that I get out of the string, and the cleaner, I, I feel like the tone I get is cleaner. And my vibrato, when I do vibrato or, you know, you have this thing where you have an arc in your finger, so you want your finger to mute those strings. And if the action is too low, you're going to have to like literally lay your hand flatter on the neck, which isn't always a comfortable thing. So when you're talking to Paul Gilbert, when he's talking about the thumb over mm -hmm. and you're doing all this stuff, you know, uh, if your action's too low, you, you sometimes you're going to fret notes you don't want to fret. So you got that's my thing, but not everybody. Like if you're a big legato player, you know, you want that action to be like you can just run a typewriter and not have to pick anything. Yeah, that's 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 cool too. If you if that's your thing. How do you find some of these guys that have um, like incredible speed, uh, but have like I don't want to say high action, but you know more, higher than normal. Right, and I guess there's no. I shouldn't say it, we're using terms here that aren't necessarily true. Like normal, what's normal, right? But higher than yeah. a lot of these, like the legato guys that you're talking about. So some of these guys that have mid-range action, uh, mid to high. How do you find that they they don't struggle when they play so fast, just the way they naturally are? Well, I mean, I think uh, I'll tell you. You know, Ingve Malmsteen's a good example. If you ever look at his guitars, mm -hmm. those the strings are like I don't know a mile off the fretboard almost. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's it's kind of the, to me. There's a there's a there's a, there's fast and there's how fast you need to be. Okay. So if you look at how fast Inve plays, Inve, if you break it down, is not playing really as fast as some of the guys that you see doing some of the crazy stuff now these days. I mean, mm -hmm. um, there's there's a few guys that I saw online. Um, I don't right off the bat, off the top of my head, I don't remember their names, but um, I think it's Rick Graham is one of them. Um, but you got guys like that 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 play extremely accurately and extremely fast. But um, how fast do you need to play? I would say you know Ingve plays you know quick, but not ridiculously fast. Mm -hmm. And I would say that if you play a guitar that's got higher action, it, the arc in your fingers, you're just going to develop that sensibility of how you need to 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 walk the fingers across the fretboard and so it's probably technically less efficient if you want to call it that but uh again how fast you need to go to be fast you know i would argue not that fast exactly <laughs> it's all relative that's right you know to me it's the to me that like when you're talking about playing guitar and, and talking about you know making music it's it's the, the contrasts you know, the relative contrast between the preceding note and the following note. So, what is fast? Well, fast is faster than the last thing I did. That's right. right? And it's, it's basically how you're building, a ten, how building tension and resolving tension. And that's the vehicle of music and, and how we kind of, you know, elicit the, the emotion from the listener is through how we manipulate 
the interval and the speed and, and the you know the various dynamics that you know vary the sound from you know note to note. So anyway, that's that's just a no. That's cool. No, that's that's very thought. good. Very well said. Uh, in the chat, a couple questions or a couple couple comments and questions. Terry says uh, he got a straight uh, cross thumbprint a gash across his uh, thumb. I think doing some fret work, so uh, uh, he's not doing that anymore. And um, Rocamp says uh, fifty six says good evening, Eric and Craig. Are, Eric, are you planning to get the new MXR fifty one fifty the fifty one fifty chorus? It sounds awesome. Yes, one of those is coming right away for a review, and then I'm going to give it away. So that's coming right away. Uh, let me see here. Nemtal says, who really wants a replica bill? I prefer a new signature of a guitar, not a beat-up version of any guitar. Uh, it's only for looks. If you can get the artist, guitar he plays. Yes, it's not always for everyone. Um, Carl Santon says, uh, uh, <laughs> he needs new friends. <laughs> let me see here. What else? There's other comments down below here, too. Uh, Quentin James says, whatever you're soldering uh, has to be hot. Agreed on that one, too. And Quentin gave us a nice term for the clips, roach clips. I guess we could we could use that, right? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of a lot of the people in the, in the chat will re, re, know what we're referring to there. Uh, Terry St. Cummins says, "Love shred and love Lynch." Uh, let me see here. Uh, what else? I know there's some other questions here as well too. Uh, just trying to find them, and I'm going to come back to that in a second. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Kev Gem says, uh, "Craig, can a bones guitar sound good for reggae?" I, I would imagine uh, you can play anything on a Bones guitar, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a guitar. I mean, uh, the only thing that I say about it is, uh, you know, it's, it's not a five-way switch. You don't have three pickups in it. So, but, so your, your tonal vari- variables are not as, as great, but reggae is all about the beat anyway. It's about uh, where the accent of the beat is and how you play against that. So if you do it right, you know, and you in the pocket with that that beat, then you're gonna, to me, you know, sound reggae. So that's, that's right. Just, I mean, that's like saying that's like taking a Telecaster and saying you know you can only play country. Don't try to play any Van Halen riffs on here or whatever you want. Right? It's it's a guitar. Yeah. That's right, sure. and we've seen our heroes uh, throughout our whole lives. Every one of our guitar heroes growing up, you, you kind of they get stereotyped playing their signature guitar, and all of a sudden you see them out of the blue playing like an SG or something that's out of the wheelhouse. You're like, wow, that's, why would he play that? It's it's just a guitar, right? Yeah, yeah, it happens. Uh, so uh, you kind of touch base on this, but Carlos Anton saying, what's the advantages or what's the benefits of having higher action? So I, I, you did kind of say that, getting able to uh, vibrate the notes better. Uh, the frets aren't exactly damping anything out. Um, so yeah, that's uh, pretty much the answer to that one. Uh, Sammy St. Holmes says, Eric, do you like Billy Corgan? He loves Ed. Uh, yeah, indeed. I like, I like uh, Billy and the Pumpkins. Uh, let me see here. Um, yeah, Nemtal says Rick Graham used a lot of legato as well as hybrid picking. Uh, let me see here. And Terry says he's just hesitant of doing it again, enjoying mods and refinishing. Um, here's a question from Bresbo. Hey, Rick, what is the best pickups to use on an amplifier with n- too, with n- with, without too much bottom end? I'm going to digress that one to you. What are some pickups that you like that necessarily not too much bottom end? You mean that don't have a lot of bottom end? I think, well, he says w- with too much bottom end, but I think he might mean... You mean an amp, maybe he has an amp that's bassy. Okay, maybe, okay. Oh, with, yeah, okay, to use on an amplifier that is too bassy with too much bottom end. There's a good one, okay. So, I mean, I, I would say, you know, any of the, um, any of the kind of old school Duncans, like the, even the stuff that we have in the Bones guitars, the, those docking buckers, those, you know, JVs, a lot of the... Um, 
standard kind of line of the Duncans. I mean, I find that Duncan pickups, at least a lot of the original ones, they don't usually have a huge bottom end. Mm -hmm. the, but again, you just have to, I mean, there's a lot of pickup variations out there now, a lot of options. So you can pretty much look online and look at the tone curve of any pickup that you can buy. And you can just look for something that, that alters that. You can also um, put an EQ in your line sure. as well and, and adjust and take some of that low end out. Um, but like maybe it's perception from me, but I've owned a lot of guitars that had Duncan pickups and a lot of guitars that had um, the, the Marzios in them. And I've always found the DiMarzio's a little bassier than, than the Seymour Duncans. I mean, there are exceptions to the rule in both lineups, I would say, mm -hmm. for sure. But my historically, I've had that sensibility where I get the feeling like a, a lot of my DiMarzio's seem like they're warmer and bassier, like with more kind of mid-ranging and some bottom, more bottom end, and where my Duncans tend to be a little more higher end. Um, so... That's that's just something personally I've found with the particular pickups that I've had, and, and I've had a lot of. I will I'll say the exception on the Demarzio side is the Tone Zone. I think the Tone Zone is a little more high end, mm -hmm. whereas say like a Humbucker from Hell or um, even a uh, uh, Super Distortion are going to have probably a little bit more bass to them. So if you're looking at those kind of pickups and like something like a JB or a, or a Distortion on the Seymour Duncan side. Is gonna probably have a little bit more high highs to it, so that's just my personal experience. Okay, well, that's a good answer, and maybe for maybe in a case like this as well too, if you don't want to necessarily swap out the pickup right away, like you mentioned, maybe pick up uh, an affordable EQ, grab a uh, used EQ, and roll some of that low frequency out. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good one for sure. Uh, and last question from the chat before we jump back over to you. Uh, Terry St. Cummings says, "Have you played a Steinberger like Ed used in fifty one fifty? I haven't played one of the the Steinbergers with a real trans trim. Have you?" Uh, I I've actually tinkered around with um, a trans trim once mm -hmm. years and years ago, but not. It wasn't one of the ones like Ed's. It was more of a Stratty one. Okay. And then and then my my good friend Corrado, uh, he is a Steinberger player. He actually uh, plays uh, guitar for Andre Tele, I believe, if I remember correctly. I'm sure he'll correct me if he sees this and I'm wrong. But uh, he, he plays Steinbergers, and he, he didn't have a trans trim on his, I don't think, but um, they definitely are weird for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I found them to have a little bit more string tension than, and I don't know why, I can't really say what the reasoning could be for that, but it seemed to me that they had a little bit more string tension. At least, maybe it was because Corrado put tens on it. So I, I have could, no idea. Could be elevens. So. But nevertheless, uh, um, it played smooth. The action was extremely low on the one that I played. Um, so I, I still want to get. To be honest with you, I don't want to like sidetrack this too much. But the guitar that I always wanted, and actually Corrado found me one, but I just didn't want to spend money on it at the time, was the Vito Brada. Uh, Steinberger, that it was like the, it had it was a humbucker humbucker, so that it was an HH and it had the strap body and and it had a trans trim on it. Mm -hmm. There is that is the one I want. There is a guitar player that play, um, when I played in the Van Halen tribute band many years ago. There was a guitar player that was a guitar player before me, and then he came back in the band after me. He had that exact guitar, 
and he had it. He had vinyl stripes on it to look like the Van Halen guitar, and it was just like it wasn't painted. Obviously, it was an expensive guitar, so he just wanted to vinylize it, you know. And then when he's done doing that gig, he could take the vinyl off. But that was a beautiful guitar. Yeah, you know what I found? One of the things that I know about the Steinbergers, and maybe it changes, but um, I I believe it's hard to source the strings like for the trans trim. Oh, is it? I think I think it's kind of hard to find them. I mean. Unless somebody can write in the chat and tell me that they know where stockpiles of them are, somebody I think somebody told me once that it was kind of hard to locate them because there wasn't a lot of support for them. You had to order from some special place or whatever. Um, we we can maybe find out through uh, through our friends with Gibson because now Gibson owns uh, Steinberger, isn't that correct? Is that is that Do they true? still manufacture the transgen? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the educated answer on that, but I'll I'll find out. Whenever I don't know, I'll ask. That'd be really cool. And then maybe maybe they know about uh, a supply, a source for strings and whatnot. Yeah. Because I mean, it's very cool. cool because I want one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I always liked about Eddie Van Halen. I mean, many other guitar players out there obviously tinkering with new toys all the time. But Eddie was always, as we know here, we talk about on the show, always looking for that next thing. As soon as he gets onto something, you think, okay, this is it for him. This is his new thing. Then he's... He's, you know, he's just always reinventing, and that was a really cool sound, you know, almost using it like a slide in some cases, and uh, not just using it for show. He really, really used the tran- yeah. the transposing tremolo uh, for yeah, get up, get up in summer nights. Yeah, and, like they were that was so cool, you know how they how, how he did that. I mean, it sounded pretty unique. It did. It did for sure. Let's jump into kind of the topic of the hour. The main the main reason why I wanted to have you here today, obviously, other than to catch up with you personally, but so you're working on a fantastic new limited edition series of guitars with uh, uh, George Lynch, obviously. And tell us a little bit about uh, the whole kind of process, which has been something in your mind for many years. Now, kind of seeing the, the light of day, where you are with it, and um, just just tell us all about the whole line. Okay, so this is. Uh this is actually one of uh, of the ones that we've we built. This is a um, this is actually numbered stamp number six in the back. Um, I brought this back uh, recently from Los Angeles, um, and uh, I'm I kind of thought that I would keep it for myself, but I mean I I still if somebody comes along and and says you know I'll I'll offer you a lot of money for it or something, I may sell it anyway, but it's in, I kind of want to keep it. I, I remember all the stuff that I've done with this. This guitar has a, some very interesting differences from even a standard OG um, that I did personally for mm-hmm. myself. But first of all, I'll talk about just what this is and, and what I go through to do it. So. Um, if you've watched EVH gear and you've watched some of the times I've been on the show, a lot of people know kind of some of the history of this and the project and what happened there. I don't know if I need to go into like extreme detail. So I started building Bones guitars um, many years ago, actually, back in, uh, I think it was 2007 was the first time I built a Bones guitar. And uh, I did so. Um, in collaboration with Chris Woods, and uh, this, as that story goes, it started out with just me. Uh, I, I was I've been in the game industry as a 3D artist in the past, when, you know, many years ago, and so I have skills, I guess, if you might call them, a certain set of skills, as Liam Neeson would put it. 
and uh, the, those skills are you know working with 3D uh, programs and uh, I always wanted a bones guitar so I ordered a bones guitar from Ed Roman uh, don't ask me why I chose that one I guess because John supposedly was involved in it so I bought that one mm -hmm. and I got it and it was so off it didn't look anything like the pictures I had of the bones guitar and I wanted one that looked like the original Bones guitar, and nothing existed. ESP had one that was, you know, it looked emaciated. It looked like somebody had not fed the Bones guitar for many months, and it just got very skinny. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the, the, the history, the, the reason behind that was, I think, George's request to make some of the parts smaller, to make it more room to be able to play it. But nevertheless, it looked, to me, emaciated, and although... The instrument was a quality instrument. It didn't look right, and uh, there were a few other builders that attempted it, but no, no one ever came close to the original one. And um, I found out that the original one was in the Hard Rock Cafe, so I went there and took photos of it. And then I went back to the Ed Roman guitar and I started, you know, stripping the paint and decided to try to carve it, recarve it using a Dremel, and I got into it and realized that it was just completely wrong, nothing even close to the original guitar. So I basically put it on a shelf and went about my business and went back to, you know, making video games and, uh, and it, it wasn't until 2006, the end of 2006, I was actually building a, uh, I was, I wanted to build a replica of uh, a PGM, one of Paul Gilbert's guitars. Mm -hmm. I looked up I looked up Christopher Woods because he was building accurate Ibanez reproduction necks, and uh, I ordered I was going to order a neck from him, and I saw some hack job of a Bones guitar on his website that he had attempted, and I thought, oh, this guy might be interested in a Bones guitar, and it really it kind of jumped back into my mind that I wanted one, so I asked him. Have you ever tried to do any of that stuff on a CNC? And he said, no, I haven't. And I said, well, would you be interested in trying to do it? And he said, sure, you know, just what can you do? And I said, well, let me build the face, like the skull, and send you a, an STL file and see what it, if, you, if you can get it running on your machine. So he, so I did that. and. I think it wasn't much more than a day later, I think, he sent me a picture on my phone. I, I, this picture popped up on my phone, and it was a piece of wood that had, you know, a skull in it. So it, it just blew me away. I was like, okay. You know, so at that point, you know, to me it was like the beginning of what would later become where we are now, mm -hmm. which is I... I ended up modeling the whole guitar in 3D based on the photos that I took at the Hard Rock Cafe. And then I sent Chris the STL file. And uh, then in Mastercam, all the neck pockets cuts were added and everything else. We ended up cutting the, the body of the guitar. You know, the, the rest is history. You know, we made the very first bone guitar. And that was in early 2007. And I've been improving that since 2007, all the way until, you know, uh, the current version, which uh, is the one that we do now, which is the OG guitar. Um, the OG guitar, 
is unique and special because um, it actually comes from a, a uh, scanned model of the original guitar, so it's completely accurate in every way to the real guitar. Um, I had to reassemble all of the point clouds into a 3D mesh and uh, make sure that it compared against all the photographs that I took and the measurements. So once that was all done, um, I cut the first body. And uh, interestingly enough, the very first body I cut was from a, a, a different 3D file, which ended up being cut by Chris Woods. And that guitar right now is hanging on Jason Becker's wall. Oh, wow. So, so Jason has the very first accurate you know, CNC body off of the original Bones guitar. And uh, that, that body, I had set it aside. And um, as I continued to develop the project, and I found the, a vendor here in Russia that um, would cut them and could cut them at the dead level of detail that I wanted, you know, I, I started doing it that way. So I started that process. And I forget exactly how it all happened, but, you know, Jason had invited me to his birthday party. And I was thinking for a long time, what can I bring him? Mm -hmm. and, and I was like, well, I, I looked over and I saw that prototype body sitting there. And I realized that, hey, you know, if I work on this a little bit, I can get it functional into a guitar. So um, I decided to start working on it. I, so I painted it and everything else, and I called Chris. I asked Chris if he would be willing to donate his time to build a neck for Jason Becker. And he said, sure, he would do it. So Chris built the neck for that, and I finished the body. I flew to California, to the Bay Area. And the morning of Jason's birthday party, because the neck was shipped a little bit later, the neck arrived at 9 a.m., I think, that morning, and I was going to leave for Jason's at 12. So I had three hours to assemble this guitar, you know, from nothing. Like, I had the body, yeah. I had the neck, and I had a bunch of parts in a box, and I had to assemble this guitar, set it up, and get it playable um, in three hours. So... Uh, I ended up doing it surprisingly, and I got the I got the guitar done. I put I even put the headstock logo on there, which I custom uh, made on my uh, vinyl cutter, which is Jay Becker, and put it on the headstock. So Jason has the very first accurate Bones guitar body, and he has uh, you know a, a, his own headstock logo on that guitar and. Uh, he was very happy to get it. I was extremely happy, as Chris was, to make that for him and give it to him as a gift. But, uh, yeah, that was the beginning of this project for me. And uh, later, you know, I hooked up with George, because I, I've known George now for quite a while, for about 12 years, I guess, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, we've talked off and on for a long time about doing these. But George has his obligations to other things. He has Mr. Scary Guitars, he's ESP endorsers. So, you know, we talked about it for probably four years before it actually happened. So, you know, now it is what it is. You know, a lot of things changed. Uh, I've talked about a lot of the features of this guitar before on the show. 
It's a mahogany body. Um, I sourced Hunter mahogany, um, a, a nice batch of it, and I used that um, for the initial run of bodies. Um, I hand Dremel parts of this. Each and every one of these have hand work done on them. It's not just CNC work. It, it takes a lot to get a CNC body into a final format. I used I use close-up photographs of the real guitar with landmarks and everything else to make sure that using landmarks from the CNC and using photographs, I add subtleties that the CNC may not get. Right. I do all the undercuts, and when I do the undercuts under the fingers and inside the bones in here, I look at photographs and I try to capture as many of the the actual uh, carved lines and marks that are in the real one, and uh, and then the paint job is just you know I, I went through different ways of doing it and I arrived at one way now that's more consistent and I like it, and that is that I do it as it was originally done. I paint the guitar white, and so when I paint these, they're completely white, and uh, I use a tinted clear with stencils. So wherever there wasn't paint, where it's rubbed off on the original guitar, mm -hmm. I stencil it, and then when I put the clear on, the clear is obviously just you know not going where the stencils are, and I take the stencils off and then do some handwork to add some of the little dings and chips and stuff. And so every I try to capture every line, every little detail. The color of the clear coat yellowing is accurate. Um, yeah, so. What you get with this is probably closer than, it might even be closer than some of the replicas of other guitars that are being done in some of the big shops. And, I think so. You know, I don't, I don't want to boast too much about that because I don't want to sound like I think that I'm better. I don't think that I'm better. I just, I make, I make fewer of them and I spend more time on them. Yep. And when that happens, you allow yourself to have more accuracy in some of the, the details. Well, I saw that video that you, you and uh, George shot the other day. It was posted on the Facebook group. And actually, by the way, I have the link to that Facebook group in the, in the description down below, uh, or the Facebook page, I should say. But George is playing the guitar. And, you know, it always comes down to proof in the pudding and he's playing it he's playing and he stops playing he looks at the guitar for a second he's kind of feeling the the you know everything's connected plays a little bit more and he said something along the lines i don't want to quote him because i don't want to say it wrong but he said something along the lines of you know the first guitar is built by more of like a, a prop builder to make this thing look really really cool for a particular purpose but now it's being built by a builder and the thing he's he throws out the term plays like butter you know that kind of stuff so He's obviously picked a really good person to work with and yourself, and I'm sure there's a, a great mutual trust back and forth with what you bring to the table, and then, of course, with his guitar talents, you know, making sure that this thing is going to be satisfactory to George himself. So I, I think it's a really good synergy that the two of you have. Yeah, I mean, I think it, we, we knew each other for quite a long time before we did this project, and um we had talked about it many times before it actually came to be a real project. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we decided to do it, we were both in and were willing to put whatever we could into the project. And um, I bring my artistry and my years of being an artist. You know, I was an art, I've been an artist since I was seven years old. And uh, although I do different things in my world in terms of business and, and you know, making games and doing all kinds of other things, you know, I, at the core of me, 
I'm an artist, and, and that's what I do is it's not only about just making a replica. It's it's really doing something, and I said it earlier, it's, it's doing something that I myself would own or that I would be proud of. And I, I've always had the experience that if I've done it to that point, that it's usually, you know, good enough for most people. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, it, it reaches that level. So, yeah, George, you know, we work with a guy, um, John Gadesi. Uh, I've mentioned him before, but John, John's an amazing luthier, but John used to work at ESP many years ago, and John has handled, disassembled, and assembled the original Bones guitar quite a few times, and, you know, I have tremendous respect for him, and uh, a lot of people in Hollywood, in, in LA area, that are luthiers also do. I know Grover Jackson does have tremendous respect. Um, I know, you know, a lot of the guitar community looks at him as, as like a super, super guy when it comes to that. He's not as well known as Grover and those, those guys, but he's super great. Uh, George has him building all of his necks. Um, but the reason I say that is because every now and then things happen to you where somebody says something or you get a compliment or something and, and in most cases you, you look at it and you go, well, yeah, okay, this guy's being nice to me and whatever. But, you know, John looked at the body, like, because he, he actually assembles these guitars in most cases. Sometimes he might delegate it, but he looked at the body of one of the ones I did and he said he was blown away. He said he couldn't believe it. He said, you know, he, he told me, you know, in his words, that, you know, the work that I did was amazing and that he said he had a lot of respect for what I did and he thought that, you know, what I did was amazing. He couldn't believe that the details that I did on this body, like the, the holes that you can't see. Yeah. You know, there, there's stuff that you just can't see on this. And, and that's the thing is, I didn't care whether you could see it. I did it. If it was on the original guitar, I put it in. Supposed to it didn't be matter to me if you could see it. And John knew what those things were. John Gadesi, uh, he, he knew those because he had taken a guitar apart so many times. So when he looks at the body, he's like, hey, you put those holes there? And I'm like, yeah. And, I, and then he, like, there, there was a story I was telling Eric earlier. Um, so I don't know how close we can get to this. Because I'm kind of far away from the camera. But... Let me see if I can show this. Here, there's some tape. Can you see that, Eric? Just yeah, I can see the tape. Yeah, right where your finger is. Okay, so underneath that tape are feeler gauges. I'm going to take them off right now because I want to show everyone what this is. If I can get this tape off. So, when it was in the Hard Rock Cafe, um, when John Gadesi had sent it to the Hard Rock Cafe. And when he did that, he wanted to get the bridge to be uh, stable mm -hmm. during shipping and all that mess. He put feeler gauges under the bridge to hold it in place, and then he put this black tape on it. So, if I can put this up to the camera here. So, this is a stack. I don't know, is that visible? Yep, we can see it. That's a stack of feeler gauges. 
And the, the thing that's cool about these feeler gauges is they were actually on the original bones guitar. Okay. These are the actual ones when it was in the Hard Rock Cafe for all those years. And some people that have followed me on this project know that I had pointed out once that there was tape on the guitar and that that tape was holding some metal under the bridge. Mm -hmm. Well, this is that metal. There, There's um, a stack of like five feeler gauges that were sitting under there for, God, I don't know, um, probably 15 or more years yeah. in the Hard Rock Cafe. And uh, the other thing about that, so the tape, I'm, I'm going to take it off of here right now. So, so this is like the exact, this is the tape from the same tape roll that John used oh, wow. to put the tape on the Bones guitar when it was sitting in the Hard Rock Cafe. So that's one of the things that I added to this guitar, but um, I can't really show this probably. I would love to be able to get this visible on the mm -hmm. camera, but I'm sure I'm not going to be able to. Um, if I can pull this Floyd far enough, I don't know if I can do this, but... I'm lean forward here and try to show this. Um, can you see under the bridge? I can there see quite quite good. Yes. Underneath there, there is a rust mark that I put on every one of these where the feeler gauges were under the bridge. So even the stuff that you can't see, the rust mark underneath the bridge in that area um, from the feeler gauges is actually a mark that's on the OG Bones guitars, and it's from those gauges and because it, it sat for a long time in the hard rock so um, yeah so those are just like just a couple of the small details the other thing is is that the skull tuners I haven't all the guitars I've done haven't shipped with skull tuners okay and the reason is because I had to find a way to make them and I only recently found a way to make them so now I have a die, or we can call it a mold, mm -hmm. to make the skull tuners. Um, the initial run, what I was going to offer to every Bones Guitar customer is I was going to offer a set of these. What I'm, they're just resin. I'm not going to cast them in metal. Um, if there was, you know, enough demand for a lot of them, and it made sense, I could make dies to cast them. Mm -hmm. But I'm getting these done. They're they're really strong um, plastic, basically, and I had them custom made to fit on Schaller tuning keys. Okay. So they were molded. They were molded molded around the same set of Schallers, and so this is a set of them on this guitar, and they're they're exactly the same kind of tuner uh, tuning uh, handle. They're called. They look awesome. So they're the same ones that were on the original Bones guitar. Okay. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of little subtle things here. Um, I think I've talked about this before, but um, if you can see, I'll hold this up to the camera here. Mm -hmm. Can you see the the outline of the telly route? Um, I, no, I know about this. I'm trying to look for it. Yes, okay, now we can a little bit. You, yes, yes, you can for sure. The, the long oval. Yep. Yep. So the original body blank that was used on the Bones guitar had a tele route, which was filled. Mm -hmm. So basically, I more or less added that feature on the on the bodies as well. 
Wow. And, and the, the neck plate were custom chopped neck plates. So they have the one corner chopped off. And underneath the neck plate, there's a screw that's a flat screw that goes into the neck. Not deep enough to hit the truss rod, but it gives it more stability. Right. Um, so the, the, those are like some subtle things. Um, there's a lot of Bones guitars out there that people make. And what what this is, is this is, this is exactly like the original one. Exactly. Um, there's really... There's not much difference at all to it. I mean, if you look at them side by side, you, you would you would not really you would tell know. the difference. Just correct me if I'm wrong. The feeler gauges that you're talking about were those were those there like basically to keep kind of the pressure of the Floyd off the guitar for being in, in storage for so long, like at Hard Rock or on display, or what was the actual purpose they served? Well, John told me that he did that for shipping. Okay. Like for some reason, maybe maybe it was because it was going on an airplane, and instead of loosening the strings or whatever, maybe he put the feeler gauges there to take some tension off the strings, and mm-hmm. then he held it there with the black tape. And as John told me, he expected the guys at the Hard Rock to actually take them out when they got the guitar, and they kept it on there, which was the only reason they were there was for the shipping process, but they kept them there. So all those years it was on display, and all the photos that I had of this guitar had that black tape when the feeler cases were under the bridge. Because they didn't know so, any different. Yeah, they figured it's, that's George's thing, and they yep. didn't even know where to look. Yeah, so that's the way it was sitting I mean, if I do keep this guitar, what I'm thinking of doing is actually making a display case with that background like it was in the Hard Rock. That'd be just very having cool. it so that you can open it up and take the guitar out and play it if you want. But it would just sit in to, with that kind of purplish background like yeah. when, when it was sitting in the Hard Rock. Yeah, so um, real, a real throwback to where it was all those years. Yeah, pretty much. I love that, and I like how you like the, the attention to the detail. Just like you're talking earlier about putting holes where the average eye doesn't see, so you're putting those in there. This these the, the bolts for the neck. Obviously, you can't see the bolt that's underneath the triangular plate, but you put it there specifically. And what was the reason behind kind of the triangular um, uh, plate? Well, it's it's pretty simple. I mean, George wanted the more like an all-access kind of thing, like Ibanez started doing, and sure. like ESP, ESP started doing that, where angled uh, here as well on the ESPs. This is, so this is like a, the early version of what would later become some that angled ESP uh, neck, uh, Cut away. you know, the, the heel. Yeah. So th- that, that's all it was, is that there was no way to get that to wrap around you know, this part, so they just cut it to where it was flat. Okay. There's there's a couple comments in the chat, and uh, one of them echoes a uh, question I was going to ask you, so this is perfect timing. First, This first one is just a comment. Broken Chain says he's very happy to have Craig back in the show, so that's really nice. Uh, and Mr. C5150 says guitar story is something else, so it is definitely a great story. Um, and we're really happy to have this shared with us again. And Carlo says, um, how many man hours, and this is this is obviously probably will vary from guitar to guitar, but he says, how many man hours go into a single guitar, Craig? You know, I would, uh, you know, I would speculate, because I don't count every, every guitar, hour, yeah. I guess, but I would say um, probably about 100 hours of work per guitar, roughly, is, is, is an accurate estimate in terms of the, the total work. Yep. 
It's like about, about 100 hours. So obviously a labor of love. And, and, and like you say, too, you don't count every hour. So you could be more. You definitely could be more. And every guitar that you build, too, like you've mentioned before, too, sometimes you learn certain little things about the last build. And it's not like any customer is going to get something better or worse than the last one. But you you've, can apply some new techniques to the next model and just kind of tweak it to, the, to your liking. Because you're like in, in many cases, you're building the guitars if you're going to be building it for yourself. So that, that person that's getting that guitar is going to have uh, totally something that's uh, one of a kind. Well, see, so I'll give you an example about that, right, to where where I've made a change that doesn't affect the look of the guitar, but right. it affects the process of the guitar. Right. So one, one of those things is what I used to do is I used to mix white paint and I used to mix the base coat that was kind of yellowed. And I would uh, paint the... Uh, the guitar white, and then I would to put another coat of base in the yellow, and but I would stencil it. Okay. And then I would, and then I would put, you know, a total clear on, like it was a, a transparent clear. Right. Um, what I ended up doing later, after I had the original one in my hands, and looked at the finish and looked at how everything was done, is I actually started painting the guitars white. And then doing all of the detail work, all the line work as a white guitar. Okay. And then, and then I uh, custom in my I have a vinyl cutter. I cut all the stencils, which I take off photographs, and I create all of the um, what do you call it the uh, vector files based off of the photographs, and I match all of the shapes of the of where the clear coats worn off. Okay. Uh, like on the skull and places like that. And then I uh, put the stencils on to the right place based on the photographs. And then I use a tinted clear. It's a custom tinted clear because an amber clear isn't right. Right. Uh, it, I, I actually use a clear that's tinted. So when I spray the clear on, it makes that white look the correct color of the original Bones guitar. And, and that, to me, is more accurate. So the old one was the same color yep. and the same look and had the same line work and had clear on everything else, but it it wasn't... This is a more, in my feeling, a little bit better process and it's actually uh, less work in one sense. And, and yeah. it, the thing that I like about it is it allows me to do all the line work and detail work without worrying about making a mistake and having to fix it it's easier to fix a white guitar than it is a guitar that's already tinted a color and then try not to over tint it and over color it. So it just makes the process of doing the guitars easier, but the net outcome still ends up being looking like the original. Yeah, you still get to the, you still get to the same destination. It's just you've come up with a different way, and that that works great. It's a phenom- phenomenal yeah. discovery. Very good. Uh, in the chat, uh, Broken Chain says, Craig made me a Bones before the OG, and I could not be happier. He's a gifted, talented builder. Uh, Michael Medea is here saying, hi, folks. And Bobby Clipper says, uh, hi, Erica and all. Craig, you are the master of detail. And we've certainly learned that today. Like all of us that kind of worship these guitar players um, and these replica guitars that are out there from the Van Halens to the mom scenes to George's guitars and things like that, we all kind of know what what's where and what's and it's this ongoing folklore and in this case here we're learning about like the feeler gauges which is such a cool thing you know they're under there to maybe save something in shipping and then little do we know they're left there for a decade and a half 
Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was really funny when John told me because I was trying to figure out stuff out, and then John just nonchalantly just like it's like a, a, a side note, just not even putting any emphasis on it. And he mm-hmm. said, oh, "Yeah, I, I put those on for shipping. They, sh- <laughs> they didn't take those out." That was just uh, I thought that was very funny. It is. It totally is. Now, I, I wanted to get you to do a little bit of a performance for us today before we wrap up the show. We've, we've still got some time here, about another 15 minutes, and I don't want to put you on the spot with that guitar, but is that guitar, I know you're fiddling with it a little bit, is it, is it in tune? Would you like to play that one, or would you like to play I something else? Okay. Okay. Yeah, and in, in defense of that guitar, though, too, you were really abusing that Floyd a few minutes ago, too, when you were showing us uh, the under the undercarriage and everything there, too. Yeah, the, this is a... Uh, but the guitar, um, it generally plays... Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to avoid tuning the guitar in people's ears. Yeah, I know. It's always, it's always difficult.
Oh, that's because okay. They were like from so many years ago. No, that's totally uh, fine. Totally so, bad. That's totally badass. What are you running through right now? Amplifier wise. This is a Kemper. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, what is the setting I have on here? Uh, I believe it's a Caswell. It's a Caswell AFD. So it's like the appetite for destruction head, I believe. Okay. Something like that. No, it sounded, uh, it sounded great. Yeah, it's like, so it's supposed to be technically a Marshall um, with a little bit of reverb on it. Something like that. No, it's, it sounded really good. Um, does, so. There's a question in the chat from uh, uh, Broken Chain says, does Craig still own the original Roman, uh, which made him strive to make the most accurate bones to date? Um, no, I don't. I mean, I could tell a story about where that body went, but I don't know if I really want to divulge that. No, it's okay. <laughs> no, I mean, I know where that body is, and I know what happened to it, and it's... It, it is floating out there somewhere. It was turned into a bones, a, a very abstract bones guitar at one point. Okay. So, so there you go. Before we wrap up for the program, here's what I want to ask people. So you'd you'd mentioned that you're or ask you to to kind of share with us. You'd mentioned that there's going to be so many of these guitars made, and if I understand correctly, you're kind of taking a bit of a break right now, schedule wise, and and share with us if people want to purchase one of these kind of what the process is, how they go about doing that, you know, uh, deposits and things like that. Okay, so, okay, here's the, so the deal right now is, so George and I have had conflicting schedules. He's been doing a lot of uh, touring, and I, you know, I'm in a pretty large video game company, and I work a lot, uh, travel, work, very busy guy. Mm -hmm. um, so, the net outcome of that is is that it's taken us longer than desired, 
And the other problem, you know, I don't want to get into to details about people's personal life, but sure. uh, one of the guys involved in the project has some personal issues that, uh, some, you know, health-related issues that are keeping them from uh, doing some things. And, and so I don't want to get into all the details of that because that's sure. a personal thing for them. But um, that in itself has also contributed to some, some latency in, in our ability to execute these as, as fast as we want to. So um, so what's happening now is that we're, we've come to the conclusion of how to get back to building them in a more reasonable pace. And what we usually um, tell people is from the time you order it to the time you get it, it's supposed to take about four months, you know, okay. three to four months, but usually about four months. Um, man, that's basically George is, you know, getting his time and all this kind of stuff. But uh, it's taken us longer on some cases to build these, and, and a lot of that's just due to some, you know, difficulties, like I was mentioning earlier. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that's going to be happening, I think, is just how we build the next and where we build the next and all that's going to change probably to make it a little more efficient. And I'll, I'll probably be handling the majority of all of that on my side of things as opposed to just the bodies. So if I'm overseeing all the neck construction and the body construction, it means all that stuff's in one place and not waiting to happen and be married on the other side of the pond. So that's, that's going to make things more consistent in terms of time. Yeah. So we, we are more confident now that we can do these in, in a reasonable time. And uh, as our schedules free up, if there's enough interest, and I'm going to just say that, if there's enough interest, you know, uh, we didn't have inquiries coming left and right, and that may be because we don't market these. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we're considering doing another run. If we get enough people that, that actually want one, not say they want one, yeah. because there's a difference between saying and, and, and really wanting one. Yeah. I mean... I will say this because people ask this question all the time and I'm usually very careful because I don't like to usually post this stuff, you know, in threads um, because people can refer back and all this kind of stuff. But I will say this, you know, the the rate for a OG Bones guitar and that's just what they cost with what we offer and what, you know, and I'll explain that in a second, is 10, they're 10,000 US dollars. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people jaw their, their jaw drops to the floor. Their eyes get bigger than saucers when I say that. But if you consider what a Frankenstein costs, or you consider what you know some of the the seventy eights, new seventy eights cost, or any of the the custom shop stuff that's done in Fender, you know they're charging twelve thousand nine hundred, fifteen thousand, twenty five thousand, you know, ten thousand for a completely accurate reproduction of one of the most complex rock guitars in history is a bargain, in my opinion. It's very fair, uh, right in a wheelhouse. I, so, so I'm not I'm not talking about a Bones guitar. I'm talking about the Bones guitar. There's a difference, and there's yeah. many Bones guitars. I highly recommend, you know, Michael Piper or you know Christopher Woods. You know, you know, uh, I mean Scott Hembry. Any of those guys, if you want just a Bones guitar, go to them. You know, uh, Chris has a very good process. He, uh, 
he turns out a good guitar. Um, Piper is building guitars left and right. I don't even know if he builds them for people. He builds them. I think he's got a huge collection of like I don't know, twenty or thirty or fifty of them. I don't know. Henry, he's he's great with wood. He does a great job. So basically, if you want a bones guitar, go to them. Yeah. If you want the bones guitar, go to you know to, you know save your money. Yeah. Come to come to George and I. You can order them. You know, uh, like I said, I'm not going to start another run until I have probably. At least three, I would say at least three bona fide orders with the deposit. Right. Of the, all the deposits on these are fifty percent of the total price. Um, we don't go on vacations with that money. That money uh, goes into the all the process, building the next, getting the wood, getting the hardware. Um, it, you know, paying for some of our time that we put into doing sure. all that and sourcing all of that. So. Those deposits are not there just because we want to suck all the money out of people and go on vacation. That money is, you know, very much spoken for for what we do. Um, so that's that's kind of in a nutshell, you know, what what it takes. And if you want to order with them, what I would say is I'm going to start making a list. And if somebody comes to me and they say, okay, I'm in, I want one, I'm ready to make a deposit. Mm -hmm. Then I'll put your name on a list, and when I have enough names on the list, I'll notify people, and I'll start a run, and that's kind of how I'm going to do it. No, I think so, I think that's I think that's perfect, and I think it's very classy of you as well too. Very admirable the fact that you know some of these people there there are going to be some people that can't afford that guitar, even though they want it, they can't afford it, and it's it's priced it's priced properly for what it is. But there's like the younger fans that just might not be able to afford it, and it's cool that you recommended these other guys. Uh, and for the people that can afford it, well, then here's the option that you present. But it's very classy that you won't just say, you know, there's nothing else out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know what it's like to want something and, and, and not be able to afford it. Oh, yeah. You know? uh, and, uh, you know, and I, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to do something and make people, you know, excited about something they can't have. That's mm -hmm. not what I'm doing. I, I simply am making something that is, is, is I'm passionate about and doing the best I can at it and uh, offering that to people that are interested enough and are willing to, uh, you know, pay for that time and that effort. So, yeah. Um, Mr. C. Fitch150 says, online guitar lesson guy Mike Gross has a bone guitar. He says, looks kind of chintzy compared to the masterpiece I see here. I wonder which one he would have. Hard to say. I haven't seen. Yeah, it. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, but that's but uh, that's cool though. I, I do appreciate the fact that you're offering those options. But um, people, if you're interested, the the link to uh, Craig's page is down below in the description. Visit that, and uh, if you're if you're in the market for it, and this is something that you're going to physically commit to, like like Craig has said, he'll make a list, and then he'll contact those people that are on the list to get the deposits, and then. Uh, that's that's where you go from there. But I want to applaud you first of all for doing something that you've you've had your heart into for many years, and now you're seeing it a reality. I know you're having fun. You're just like a kid in a candy store, just playing that one right there. We can feel that, and uh, it, you know it's it's very uh, infectious and contagious. The uh, the vibe, you know, it's a very very cool. We always talk about Eddie Van Halen's guitars here on the show about being iconic, but it, that's pretty darn iconic. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it impressed me when I was a teenager. Yeah. yeah. It's it's just badass. I mean, and I actually now as we close, what, which one did I hold at Nam? Uh, prototype one or what was that was it? number one. 
the one that you held at NAMM was number one. Yeah. Um, the prototype was the Dock and Tour guitar. Okay, right, for the, right. For the, for the reunion tour. And uh, that one, that one, yeah, that one went out on tour, you know, for the entire tour for the docking I don't I haven't seen the DVD so I don't know yeah. if the guitar is featured in the DVD or not but but I remember I don't think I played a note on the guitar I was just I was so so mesmerized by holding it that's all I needed you know it was just cool to hold that guitar so that was quite the honor and I I want to thank you again for that too no, believe me I make them and I can't stop staring at it when I, I know. see it across the room it just looks so wicked yeah it it is it's a, it's a complete work of art and I can just tell by looking at it as well, too. I know your attention to detail as far as not only the, the look of the guitar, but how it has to play. And it looks like a racer. It does. It looks like a racer, a shred, a shred demon. Oh, yeah. The scallop. It's got the scallop frets from the 10th up. Jeez. And, uh, you know, another detail is it's got, it was a lefty neck. The original one it was a Kramer Focus 1000 neck from Japan. Mm-hmm. With and it had it was a lefty neck, so they put it on the guitar as a right-handed neck. So on the Bones guitar, the bottom of the neck has white fret markers. Okay. So so this one also has white fret markers on the bottom. Oh, that's awesome. And it has black fret markers on the top. That's that's so cool. Yeah. So yeah, every there's there's a lot of detail in this. Well, you did it, man. That's a, a beautiful piece of work. I want to. I'll get you back on the show again towards uh, the end of the end of the year again too. If you want to give us any more updates, and I uh, get you doing some more playing as well too. Because we, one of the things we didn't talk about today, but we'll save it for another show. Is some of the other guitars that you had behind you, we'll get into some of your you know special gems, why you like them, and what makes you play them as much as you do. And I, I know a lot of us follow you closely on Facebook, and it's a real treat watching you play. So thank you for the inspiration you give us, just as guitar players too. Well, thanks, Eric, and I appreciate that, and um, I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah, I'm hoping. I'm actually hoping that we can do another thing, Jason, later in the year when uh, when he releases his album and find it available. Yeah, and in the area. That would be nice. Let's let's do that because we talked with Jason about that. Jason was going to give us a scoop on when that happened. So let's let's uh, do it at the same time. Let's get you over to his place, and um, and you can. Uh, I know you you've helped a lot when you were over there before running the show. So I mean, having you with Jason will be great. We'll have some great conversation, and uh, you know, it'll be the best of both worlds for sure. Yeah, I always enjoy it. Yeah, they're a great family. Oh, beautiful family. Very inspirational for sure. That's awesome. Well, listen, it is uh, 10.30 Eastern Standard Time here. We're going to wrap up the show. We want to wish everyone yeah. a, uh, a fantastic weekend. We hope you were able to warm up your weekend. That's the goal here on Aviation Gear TV. I'm back over on the other show uh, Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern with Trev Lukather. Uh, it's going to be a fun one talking Helix and uh, all kinds of fun guitar stuff. Some Music Man. I saw some Music Man comments pop up in the chat that I didn't get a chance to obviously play in Music Man. It's going to be a fun show. But, Craig, I'm going to say goodbye to you off the air and just, you know, from the bottom sure. of my heart and for everyone in the chat here, thank you so much for giving us your valuable time. And uh, it really means a lot to the fans here and myself as well. Well, thank you, Eric, and thanks to everyone that uh, took the time to watch the show. I appreciate the, all the people that uh, follow what I do and appreciate it. Well, you're an inspiration for sure. Don't go away. We're going to say goodbye to you off the air. Everyone, have a fantastic right. weekend. Be safe out there, and we'll talk to you very soon. Until next time, cheers. 
Hey, EVH Gear TV and Eddie Van Halen fans. If you are like me, you find the time to read books difficult. Why not have it read to you? Grab one of three critically acclaimed Van Halen audiobooks like Van Halen Rising by Greg Renoff, Running with the Devil by Noel Monk, or Everybody Wants Some by Ian Christie, available right now from Audible. Sign up for a free trial with zero obligation to get any one of these three audiobooks today. You can cancel if you wish after your trial membership expires and keep the book. There are many other great titles to choose from as well. Links in the description below, but just remember audibletrial.com slash TV. Click the link below and go grab your first free audiobook. Thank you for listening to this edition of EVH and Gear TV. This episode is being brought to you in part by VanHalenStore.com. Shop VanHalenStore.com for the largest selection of official Van Halen merchandise and memorabilia. Be sure to check out our website at evhgeardiscussion.com for more updates and follow us on social media.